The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, I want to talk to you about Superdraft. Great way to play daily fantasy sports. Unlike the others, you play who you want because there's no pricing. It's that simple. It's a multiplayer format points system. The riskier the play, the more points you can potentially earn if they produce. Tons and tons of fun. They just introduced basketball to the pool. They have hockey, golf, baseball, football, the works. Tons and tons of fun. When you create your account, use promo code Bubba to show you created your account by listening to Bench with Bubba. And you can play all the free contests you want. When you want to play some cash money, make your first deposit. You get a free $10 deposit bonus. Thanks to that promo code Bubba you used when you made that uh, first user ID. All right, everybody. So go check that out. Superdraft in your app store, superdraft.io. Also, if you get a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help the podcast out a ton and mean a lot to me. So if you could do that, a couple minutes would be awesome. Okay, welcome. Bubba, Batflip, episode 11. Recapping five pitchers we each got wrong and just some good chatter on their pitcher position as a whole. everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Batflip episode 11. Gonna have a a fun one tonight. We recapped our you know 10 hitters we missed on last year and obviously there's always more than 10. We're gonna do some pitching. We're gonna go five each. A lot of similar players here because pitching like Toby and I were kind of talking about beforehand it can be very uh, different than the hitters landscape of things and we don't need to go super deep on pitching but again I just mentioned him in order to break it all down my co-host on this endeavor on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby how we doing man? We are doing we are doing well, uh, Bubba. Thanks. Uh, spent the this past weekend at First Pitch Arizona, uh, which was uh, which was a blast. Um, getting to meet a lot of folks I know from Twitter. It was funny. Like I'd be in line and I'd hear somebody talking and I'd recognize their voice uh, from a podcast I listened to or something like that, and uh, introduce myself. But a lot of fun. A lot of really interesting conversations. 
about kind of the fantasy baseball landscape in general. Definitely got me got me fired up uh, moving forward for 2020. So um, I'm doing really well. I hope I hope you're able to come out one of these days, Bubba, because I think you would have an absolute blast. Yeah, no, I'd love to make it out there one year. Hopefully, uh, scheduling allows it to happen next year. We'll see how that goes. Um, I wish they do the PDFs like I talked about. There's a couple of the little deals you were at that I really wanted to hear. One, I'm pretty sure you guys talked about or you listened to about the new bouncy ball and how it affects, you know, exit velo and all that stuff. Because I was doing some research on some rankings for next year, and I wanted to know if these guys were lucky or what it was and how I should, you know, are they getting the playoff ball? What are we doing here? So I was trying to uh, to get answers for that. And I would have loved to have known what was talked about at that, but it looked like a great time. And uh, from everybody I saw, it had a blast. So that's uh, good to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the it was interesting, the conversations around the ball, um, because I feel like more and more data is coming out. And that's going to have such a big impact on the fantasy landscape overall. There were some really interesting discussions there. But the more data comes out, like just, you know, and the more we watch the games, the ball is definitely, definitely different. Um, and it's uh, extreme, extremely so. Like it's it's back to 25, 2016, according to Rob Arthur, who is always very accurate on the subject. So I'm really interested to see what happens. I kind of think more and more that, you know, we're going to end up with a ball that's kind of like the 2018 ball from last year where there was about, I think it was a 12.7% home run per fly ball rate. This year we're up to like over 15%. I think that's much more what we're going to get because I think, you know, watching the games now, like obviously the pitching battles are awesome, but offense drives, I think, a lot of fan engagement and interest. And I think they're going to want it a little bit more juice than it is currently. Oh, yeah. They made commercials back in the uh, early 90s with Greg Maddox and John Smoltz and Tom Glavin saying chicks dig the long ball. So <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's what that drives the market. Like as baseball fans, I am loving like the Strasburg Bueller battles and stuff. I, I was all for like one nothing ball games, but I get it when the ball's not leaving the yard or they're not like six to three games or something. It can be tough for the not so like diehard fan. I totally understand that. When you were um, listening to the baseball talk that they were doing, talking about, did they say, because maybe you can answer my question since you were there, with this bouncy ball this year, and we see, we look at like exit velocity and barrel rates or hard hit rates or anything. Was there any way to factor in bouncy ball or should like, do we expect it to be extra like fast off the bat or what, what kind of stuff were they talking about? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Some guys took massive jumps in their hard hit rate. And I want to know if I should credit it to what I should credit it to basically. Yeah. Um, that's a really good, that's a really good question. There was not any discussion specifically about that. I mean, I, uh, I believe there was some mention that average exit velocity was up. Barrel rates were obviously up. Um, how much of that is a factor of the ball or not? I'm not um, sure. Uh, but what I will do really quickly right here is just I can look at average exit velocity um, over the last three years just to see um, across the league what it was what it was at. I'm assuming you know, that it is faster with the reduced drag. Um, yeah, but I'm not make, sure. It would make sense. Yeah, I'm not sure how much that impacts, like, ground balls versus fly balls. Um, obviously, you know, fly balls are going going further. There was a great tweet yesterday. Uh, I want to credit the right person. Um, I can't remember who it was. It might be Devin Fink, who's a writer for Fangrass, but he essentially said that Carlos... Um, 
uh, Correa fly ball to dead center um, in Houston on average. Uh, you know, there was like a hundred balls that were hit uh, similarly uh, this year. And it was, um, uh, and they, and, and they went 409 feet on average. And then this one, I think went, think went like 396 or something like that. So that just gives you a sense, like, it doesn't seem like, you know, changing the ball would make that much of an impact, but it certainly does. So yeah, average exit velocity was up um, 0.4, yeah. uh, miles per hour, just overall, um, you know, and so, uh, if I, I, I can look for at fly balls as well. All right. Yeah. The reason why it kind of perked my interest is I was, I was doing, starting my catcher's rankings and, um, you know, you get to certain guys like Roberto Perez that, that crushes it or had a big year this year. And looking at the first pitch conference where barrel rates and exit velocity, like average around baseball wasn't super high, but you look at guys like Roberto Perez and it was super high. And I'm trying to decide, do I credit that to the bouncy ball or was there a better approach at the plate for him? How do I factor that in? Like I'm assuming the bouncy ball had something to do with, I know his home runs for sure, but maybe he created a better swing path or he did something differently that aided in it as well. And it's hard to, I'm wondering if I can factor any baseball-related factors into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm looking up now just uh, just on fly balls. Average exit velocity was also um, up 0.4 miles per hour. So I think it's just the fact that the ball goes so much further when you even hit it the same, um, you know. And, and so that that I think is 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 probably. Uh, probably what what is going on and i think you also have folks um hitting at higher launch angles um as well so um you know i think there's there's a couple things but yeah certainly certainly the ball has been a huge huge uh, influence on fantasy baseball this year with some of the numbers that we saw um across the league no doubt about it we'll talk about more fun stuff like that throughout the off season but let's get to it Five pitchers each that we missed on this season, and like we said at the beginning, I believe we share three of them. So that'll uh, make it uh, an interesting conversation topic to discuss. That and we'll start with the first one. We share the same one. I'll, I'll, I'll go after you, but what did you miss on Shane Bieber? Yeah, you know, I think people listening to the to the last couple pods are going to think that we're masochists. I mean, just going back and. You know, accountability is obviously really important, but it's kind of painful to go back and kind of look at some of the guys, some of the guys we missed on for good or bad reasons. I could have really used Shane Bieber in a couple of leagues um, for sure. But I think with Bieber, um, you know, there were some dramatic changes in what he was he was able to do between 2018 um, and 2019. Um, I think the key things for me, um, you know, for Bieber is number one, his curveball was much better. It really was um, a huge weapon for him this year. Um, I think that's part of it. And I think a pitch mix change was also really key for Bieber. Um, I think he made a lot of the adjustments that were necessary to uh, kind of hide some of the flaws that I saw. Um, for folks who um, who follow me on Twitter or who saw any discussion around Bieber that I had, I was really concerned that his fastball was just so bad. Like, you know, it, it just got crushed last year. 
you know, between him and Nick Pavetta, those were two guys that I was kind of off of. Pavetta much more. He made my bold predictions. Bieber, I didn't mind as much, but I didn't own any of him in, in 14 leagues. So that gives you a sense of kind of where I was uh, on him compared to where uh, where some other folks were were on him. But he did every single thing that you would want to see from a pitcher to make himself better and to hide those flaws. So I mentioned the change the change in the pitch mix. Last year, 57, 57% of his pitches were fastballs, uh, which is a really bad pitch. Um, this year, 46% of his pitches were fastballs. So he threw 11% fewer fastballs, and then he increased his slider usage. We know how great his slider is uh, by 4%. And then he increased his curveball usage um, by uh, 5%. And the curveball really grew by leaps and bounds. It actually ended up in, in a lot of instances being um, a better pitch than his slider is. I mean, we know how good his slider is, but, um, you know, his slider had a, this year had a 41% O swing. His curveball had a 46% O swing. His slider had a 79% in zone contact rate. His curveball had an 82% in zone contact rate. Swinging strike rate, curveball 24%, slider 23%. And so you can, and WRC plus 63 for the curve and 58 for the slider. So very, very similar pitches, but he's got two of them. And I think that just makes him so much more of a dominant pitcher uh, compared to 2018 when that swinging strike rate um, on his, um, on his curveball was only 14.5%. So almost a 10% uh, increase in his swinging strike rate on that curveball, which is just a huge, huge change in his arsenal and the fact that he threw it. Uh, a lot more and his worst pitch better turned him into just an absolutely fantastic pitcher this year. There were some uh, contact concerns. Those continued 1.3 home runs uh, per nine this year compared to 1.02 last year. But when you look at all of the peripheral numbers, they were all really good. He also stopped throwing the ball over the plate so much. Uh, His in zone, his own percentage went down 8% from 48% last year to 40% this year. And so really you see a guy who like every single thing that was wrong with him last year, right? He was around the plate too much. His fastball sucked. Um, you know, he didn't really like, he had a good third pitch, but he didn't really have a great third pitch. Um, now he has a, a great third pitch. He's throwing the ball around the, the strike zone less. He's getting more swings outside the zone uh, by 4% this year. His swinging strike rates up 3% and his CSW is at 33.1% for the year. Um, which is really, really, really good. So again, I had my concerns heading into this year and what he essentially did was address every single one of those concerns with the way that he pitched. Uh, And the last thing I'll say is I should have just known that there's so many Indians pitchers that absolutely, that have terrible fastballs, right? Like Kluber, Kluber's is all right, but like Carrasco, Bowers hasn't been that great. Um, in the past, but they've been able to to use that those secondary pitches, those breaking pitches, those off speed pitches, to really become fantastic pitchers. And I think Beaver's another example of us seeing Cleveland's pitcher development in action. How about you? What what were some of the things that you feel like you know you you missed on Beaver? Well, definitely one of them. I was not a fan of. He was much more. It felt like pitch to contact last year, mm-hmm. and that fastball was very hittable. Yeah, he threw it, like you said, almost 12% more of the time last year than this year. And the, the slider usage, curveball usage, even the changeup usage all increasing was tremendous because, as we've seen throughout baseball, 
Like Eno Saris tweeted it out tonight where Strasburg is the first year he's thrown 30% curveballs. In the postseason, he's thrown 40% curveballs. Mm. And look how dominating Strasburg's been this year. When these guys start utilizing that slider and that curveball so much more, it is tremendously effective. And that's something he hadn't been doing much of. And it just seemed like he's been, he, he was always around the plate, always kind of serving that meatballs. I believe it was um, Nick Pollock in the offseason last year going into the draft season. Was kind of talking, he might have been one of the big guys on Beaver. There's a lot of guys on Beaver coming into the season. He was with the Pavettas and the Eduardo Rodriguez and all those guys in that range that people wanted. And it seemed like Beaver was one of those guys who just kind of, he was more of a pitch to contact guy. It wasn't like super dominant, you know, 9.26 K per nine last year, almost 11 K per nine this year, much more of a pitcher and just, you know, getting the job done overall. Like the, the BABIP got to him last year, much better this year. Um, ground ball rate's about the same, but he, he was doing the little things better. And a lot of it's just that strikeout rate, which is tremendous. The increase in home runs, I just factor to, to the balance ball. It's such a minute number on the grand scheme of things. But for me, it was way too much pitch to contact. I'm a guy, this will be a trend you'll see in this episode and in other pitching episodes that we ever do is I want strikeout guys. And Bieber was not a strikeout guy for me as of last year, because even in the, in the minors, he pitched 114 innings in the big last year. In the minors, he never had uh, – he, he only one time in 2017 in single A had over 9K per nine, over a K per inning essentially. And that just scares me way too much as you get to the better caliber hitters that any professional hitter can hit a fastball. So if you're throwing a lot of fastballs and you're not effective with it, they're all going to hit you. So the fact he wasn't striking guys out terrified me and it got me off of him in a big way. Obviously, I was wrong, and he was outstanding. That 33% K, uh, CSW – his, um, he was one of the top players on the Rasball Player Raider. When you um, slide on down that one, it'll be a lot quicker to do this. Um, but he finished very well there as well. He was the sixth pitcher uh, in, in terms of 15-team leagues and pitchers of value. He averaged $23.5 per, uh, per pitcher. So he was outstanding. I was very, very wrong. Where he went for ADP, you got insane value. So, yeah, Bieber was a guy I missed in a big, big way. Definitely. Who was your I'm, second I'm, pitcher? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little sad, too, that I didn't do this analysis um, before my draft this weekend at First Pitch Arizona because I went Scherzer Bueller um, around the turn uh, in the one two. And, and I kind of might be more into Bieber than Bueller um, next year. Uh, really? Just based on like taking this analysis. Well, I think when you factor in, you know, like the Babbitt and the left on base percentage were all pretty regular for Bieber this year. Um, he gave up 1.3 home runs and he was still able to do what he did. If the ball does um, get better um, I, for pitchers, at least like if they do dead in the ball a little bit, I mean, you, we could really be looking at a guy who, um, is just absolutely, um, absolutely dominant. And I love Bueller, but as I dive in more and more, like some of the skills just aren't, aren't at the caliber of an ace yet. Like he's definitely got the velocity and the fastball, which I think he uses to um, reduce the quality of contact, which is certainly important. But I don't know if he has the same K upside as a guy, uh, a guy like Bieber, at least right now, but. And you could be right. I think what we saw from Bueller this year really showed a lot to me, but then again, so did Bieber. So it's tough to just uh, 
to, to pinpoint it like that. I think you can't go wrong with either. I think I think Bueller can take the next step. I think he is going to be an ace, but I haven't looked at the numbers that closely yet. So it, it's it's like flipping a coin right now. I, I can't blame you either way on that one. Who's your number two? So my number two is somebody that uh, that folks who follow me will know will know well, uh, and that is Joe Musgrove. Um, I was incredibly high on Musgrove heading into this year. Um, I drafted him. I believe I had him in nine of my fourteen leagues uh, this year. And so, as you can imagine, it was certainly a disappointing year uh, for, for from my perspective for Musgrove. I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't atrocious, uh, you know, 4-4 four, four, uh, ERA, 1-2-2 two, two whip, 157 Ks in 170 innings. Um, you know, there was some good. There was some positive increase in swinging strike rate, increase in K-minus walk rate. Um, and the repertoire is still really, really nice. But heading into this year, what I saw was a guy who, towards the end of last year, the skills really shot up. Um, he's got a terrific repertoire. I mean, he's, his fastball is his fastball is really where he needs to improve, but he's got a great slider. He's got a great changeup. Um, they're both really good pitches from pretty much any metric you can look at, um, from O-swing, swinging strike rate, uh, how, how hitters do in terms of WRC+, and consistently so um, over the last two years. And so that's what I was really looking at in Musgrove. Um, I think what I missed was number one. I don't think I factored in the uh, the injury enough. He did have off season uh, abdominal surgery, and so when you know he didn't, he's one of those guys. There was a bunch of guys who didn't have a full full spring training, including Bueller. Um, and while Musgrove didn't struggle right out the gate, he certainly had a, a massive period of struggle um, after a few weeks uh, or after about a month into the season. And so his velo was down. His velo was down all the way down to like 91, 92 um, earlier on in the season. And he really just was not as effective of a pitcher. And he was prone to these huge blowups. I think every time he played the Cardinals, he gave up like eight earned runs in two innings or something like that. Um, And so, you know, there was a ton of variance in the performance, a bunch of really good outings, and then a bunch of really awful outings. And I think because of that, myself included, like either moved on from Musgrove before he did really well towards the end of the season, or just was afraid to start him in some of those good starts because of how badly uh, we had been burned. But the skills still tell the tale of a better than league average um, pitcher. You know, this year he had a 12% swinging strike rate, which is uh, better than league average for starters. He still has great control, uh, 65 uh, or 66% first pitch strike rate. He's in the zone a bunch. He gets people to chase a bunch. Walk rate at 5.4% this year. Um, the, you know, he's not able to dominate in the zone, which I think is one of his weaknesses. And for that reason, he gives up a lot of contact when he's in the zone. So his K rate is not what you would expect it to be based on his swinging strike rate. Um, but still a 28.8% CSW, so right around league average. And I think, um, so I think, uh, it was just it was just kind of painful um, owning Musgrove in a lot of places this year, but I I'm still in. I am still in on Musgrove. I'm going to own him a bunch. I drafted him uh, around pick 200 um, in the uh, 15 team draft and hold that I did this weekend um, at First Pitch Arizona. And the reason why is that his velocity increased as the season progressed, including um, around 95 miles per hour. 
uh, over his last month uh, of the season, which was really nice. The skills shot up. I think his swinging strike rate was over 13% over that last month. And I think the most important development for me is that he started throwing a curveball a lot more, and it was a nasty curveball. 42% O swing on his curveball, 81% in zone contact rate, and then a 17% swinging strike rate with about a 58% uh, ground ball rate on that pitch. Good for a WRC plus of 68. So that was a pitch that he really wasn't didn't throw last year. He only threw eight curveballs last year. And this year, he didn't throw it much for most of the season, but its usage really surged towards the end. And that when, that's when he was most effective. So I'm going to be buying right back in on Musgrove uh, this year. I have learned nothing. Uh, I am a masochist, and I will, I, I'm all over Musgrove again. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like Musgrove as well. I don't think many love Musgrove. But um, I had him in a lot of places, and it was a painful go at times. Started out great. Rocky in uh, the, the final month, like you said, he did show some serious signs of life. I didn't own him anywhere else, but for DFS-wise, I could I was playing him off and on because he was cheap. and He he did definitely look a lot better. He's going to reel us back in, like you said. So, And you'll probably get him really cheap, as you mentioned. So I, I don't, don't hate that at all. The talent's there. It's just a matter of getting it figured out. Imagine if he was still in Houston. Just imagine what could be. But, yeah, maybe, um, maybe, maybe, we'll see. maybe the we'll pirates see. will maybe the pirates will trade him to the to the Indians this offseason and they can um you know create another bad fastball, awesome breaking off speed pitch uh stuff from that there guy. Go. Yeah. Uh who was your who you was your number two? Uh my number two was Zach Wheeler, and it wasn't so much that he had a bad season. It started off a little slow for Zach, but he finished very, very well. You know, with a 396 ERA, 406 XFIP, made 31 starts, pitched almost 200 innings. You know, similar strikeout rates to last year. When you look at the K percentage, about 20, almost 24% K rate, 24% K rate last year. Walks are down almost 1.5%. Overall, pitched really, really well. Like I said, down the stretch, he was a big reason why the Mets playoffs but the reason I missed on Zach Wheeler it was one of my bold predictions in the year I had said Zach Wheeler would out pitch Walker Bueller so um and I thought Walker Bueller was good much better so I was very very keen on Zach Wheeler I had him ranked very high when you look at the the play Raz ball he was the 54th best pitcher in baseball Mike Fires John Means Brandon Woodruff were guys that were right ahead of him your boy Hansel Robles was right ahead of him. Hansel so, is so hot right now. As good as Wheeler was, <laughs> so as good as Wheeler was, from a fantasy perspective, he was not worth the value I had him at. So it wasn't as much, like I said, as Wheeler struggled. His pitch, like everything, if you look at his stats, very similar. His zone rates were very, very similar. He was a very good pitcher, a very good if he was your third or fourth pitcher in a fantasy team. He was very good. I was drafting him like a number two. I also don't draft those do, so it's kind of a catch-22 there. Um, so it, it was – Wheeler was good, just not as good as I wanted him to be. So no slide on Wheeler. I'll be back in on him next year. Curious to be see where he's going to be playing baseball since he's a free agent. But uh, I missed on the fact that I had him higher than he finished. I should have kept my expectations tempered, and I would have been very, very happy with him is where I'm going with that one. 
Yeah. And he, who's your number three? He, he, uh, just quickly on Wheeler, you know, um, he just needs that, that, uh, strikeout pitch. You know, he just doesn't have it. Like the highest swinging strike rate he has yeah. on any pitch is 12.5% for his changeup. They all have decent swinging strike rates when you combine them together, but just not there. I, I do think that if the ball changes next year, he could be a guy who takes another leap forward. Um, has never really given up a ton of home runs outside of 2017, which also had the juice ball. Um, his home runs that he gave up jumped last year, but a lot of you know improvements, especially in control this year. So maybe next year is the, the year you got to go back to that bold, bold prediction and, uh, and put it out I'll be, there again. I'll definitely be back on him next year. I just don't know if I can predict him to be better than Walker Peeler. That's for darn sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough comp for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So number three for me um, is Herman Marquez. Um, I think heading into this year, I had Marquez as um, my fourteenth, number fourteen starting pitcher. Um, I want to say, and so you know, he just did not he just didn't uh, perform well at all. And I think, you know, Coors definitely remains um, undefeated. I wish I could provide some like super in-depth analysis of why he failed. Let's see. Yeah. I had him number 14 among my starting pitchers right between uh, Clevenger and Corbin. Um, You know, uh, uh, if you look at his skills, they were pretty similar to what he did last year. You know, when you look at the swinging strike, CSW was down slightly, but still 30.5%, which is really solid, 32.1% last year. The swinging strike rate was up. His control metrics were solid. Um, His his walk rate was actually lower than last year. The K rate was also lower. And so I think a lot of it goes down to both, you know, the impact of cores, and I think the impact of cores with the bouncy ball. Uh, was just uh, destruction for anybody who was pitching there. We saw how uh, Walker Bueller did there even, um, you know, when he pitched. And so I think the major piece that I noticed just in in diving deeper was last year he had two really good uh, breaking pitches that he could rely on, the slider and the curveball. This year the slider, it had pretty similar skills when you look at like kind of the underlying metrics. Um, of uh, of the slider, but it got crushed. It had a 122 WRC plus uh, this year compared to a 17 WRC plus uh, last year. And so, you know, where the true talent of that slider lies, I'm not really sure. I think I'm out on Marquez, generally speaking, uh, like I am on most Coors pitchers. I mean, 626 ERA at Coors versus 367 on the road. Uh, for him, a 1.5 home runs per nine this year. So I don't think, unless I, I'm fairly confident that the ball is going to be dejuiced again, that I will be in on him. I do think that if the ball is dejuiced, he could provide some value by being like around a four ERA, um, and then like uh, a decent, a decent, a decent enough whip, but getting you a bunch of Ks. So, um, yeah. And I'm not sure whether you can hear my my smallest child crying in the background or not, um, but uh, that's happening right now. It's okay. I thought it was just more Herman Marquez people. That's all I thought it was. <laughs> it, it, it's no big deal because yeah. you you were not alone on that. There was a lot of Herman. It was either you're in or you're out. There was quite the uh, the back and forth on that one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. 
it was enjoyable to watch people going at each other for like the first month of the season. And then it was, uh, mm-hmm. it was definitely a knockout for the anti Marquez folks. Yeah. I think like you said, after the first month or so, I think that whole thing stopped. I think people realized they can't fight that battle anymore. It's just not, not going to happen. And it, it wasn't that they weren't like completely wrong because of his good numbers on the road. It was more where you had to draft him, you were just wasting like quality of pitcher because you couldn't use him every time. So it was just that was the problem I always had. I, I wanted nothing to do with them. I've been burned on Rockies pitchers in the past. I think I'm just a scorned person that will probably never own a Rockies guy if I don't have to type thing. So that that's where that one lands. And Marquez is very good. If he ever leaves Colorado, he yeah. can call me. Yeah, hop on board for sure. Yeah. Um, but who's, uh, who's, my number yeah, three. Number three? Yeah. And this is one that um, I'll leave some crow on this one is Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn is a guy when the Rangers signed him, I laughed my rear end off. I thought Lance Lynn in Arlington in the heat of summer is a recipe for disaster. Boy, was, was I wrong. Somehow, some way, and I, I should have looked into it more. I've heard others talk about it. Um, that is his second half once because we forgot he started the season late. Spring training was his real season. The whole stories that you want to build around, sure. But his second half after he got traded, um, he really pitched really, really well and he carried it over into 2019. Pitching half your starts essentially at home, give or take, with a 367 ERA and a 385 XFIP when half your starts are in Arlington is impressive. What might be even more impressive is he gave up less than one home run per nine mm. when you have half your games in Arlington with the bouncy ball. That is ridiculous. Like, tip of my cap to you. He had a, a career-best 208 innings pitched. He was a workhorse. Lance Lynn, folks, had 16 wins. Lance Lynn, I didn't look it up in um, his draft spots, but just top of my head, easily in the 300s, I'd imagine. Maybe late 200s. But I'd imagine easy 300s. That's why I didn't even look it up because it was just that far gone. It wasn't even worth the time to make it work. But you look at it, he lowered his fastball by 6%, something we've been talking about. He increased his slider by almost 5%. His other off-speed pitches are pretty similar. I think they used that slider, keeping the ball in the ballpark that way. His strikeout rate went from 23% to 28% in 2019. His walk rate went from 11 to 6.5%. So his K to walk percentage, 21.4 compared to 12.1. That is elite type stuff. Like it's really, really good. Um, There's something to Lance Lynn. I don't know what it is. He was a 16th top pitcher uh, on the player radar this year, which is outstanding. He's right next to guys like Josh Hader, Patrick Corbin, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is another one many of us got wrong. But um, Lance, Lance Lynn, as the 16th best pitcher in baseball, basically free in drafts as one of those guys. He was actually a free agent in a lot of leagues. Now that I think about it, he was on the waiver wire in a lot of leagues after draft day. So I was definitely wrong on Lance Lynn. I thought that was going to be the thing that blew up in your face. He's 32 years old. He'll be very interesting to see how things develop next year. Cause it's going to be 33 in the new ballpark in Arlington, which we don't know how we have no idea. It's him. So it shouldn't be as bad, but uh, you never know if they leave the roof open, kind of like Arizona does at times. You have different, deals to, to deal with basically it'll be interesting but lance lynn definitely a guy i wanted nothing to do with i thought he was a crazy man's pick and he turned out to be amazing so lance lynn would be my third definitely yeah and 
Just looking right now, I mean, that fastball was so dominant, uh, 14.1% uh, swinging strike rate on his four-seam fastball, which is uh, elite. And then this is kind of interesting, just looking at his velo and how it's developed um, over the last three years. You know, he had Tommy John a number of years ago in, in 2016. Since then, his four-seam fastball averaged 92.5 miles per hour in 2017. 94 miles per hour in 2018, and then uh, 95 miles per hour last year. So each year, like a jump in velo. And I think that's something that you'll see across the board with a lot of guys who took that uh, next step is like um, Giolito, Lynn, others is that increase in velo. So definitely be looking for those those spring training velo readings next year to see if you can identify some of these guys before, you know, before, before it's too late. Yeah. Jeff Zimmerman always comes out with that spring training list. He'll yeah. give a, a, a sheets or a doc he'll put out on Twitter and he'll keep them update the best that he can. And, you know, it's a guy we talked about earlier. We can talk about him later or a different episode. You mentioned Joe Musgrove, Ronaldo Lopez. A lot of these guys just in the last month to two months of the season started increasing velocity and things change. So there's definitely something to that increased fastball and then, you know, better slider curveball usage that people are starting to buy into picks, Mitch pitch mix, which forever people didn't think was that important. And obviously they're figuring that out. So that's good to see. Definitely. Who's your number four. Who's your number four. <laughs> the same as the yours, same Trevor guy. Bauer. They're the same guy. Uh, yeah, Trevor Bauer is my number four. Um, I missed hardcore on Bauer. Um, uh, I was, I think I had him as my sixth, my number six starting pitcher. I owned him in a number of, um, different leagues and just, um, yeah, not, he just didn't do, do well. I mean, when you look across the board at virtually all metrics, you know, he was either, either level or worse than, last year um you know he had major control issues a nine percent walk rate which is worse than league average um and all of his pitches pretty much got worse you know he had uh, a dominant slider which uh had a 21.1 percent swinging strike rate last year that dropped down to 18.2 percent this year his cutter which is like the Corey kluber cutter had a 22 percent swinging strike rate last year that dropped all the way down to 14%. He worked on his changeup in the offseason. That was supposed to be like his new great pitch he debuted. That had a 15% swinging strike rate last year, down to a 12% this year. His fastball was uh, better this year just in terms of swinging strike rate, so that helped negate some of the overall uh, dip in swinging strike rate. But just a really disappointing performance from Bauer. And I think one of the things that I'm going to take away from this is that is that guys who don't have a history um, of having super low home run per nine are probably due some regression uh, in a ba- in a very bad way um, in subsequent years. Uh, I think this is actually one of the major takeaways that I'm having. So, like last year, Bauer had a .46 home runs per nine. Uh, that's after never having a home run per nine lower than uh, .94. Uh, in the majors, including 1.28 the year before and 1.44 this year. 
And so, um, you know, he had always been around or worse than league, league average when it came to home runs per nine. And then all of a sudden last year, he gave up like zero home runs. And, you know, what we've seen is, you know, the ball certainly had an impact, but I think he was also due just some overall regression in that home run per nine. We saw something similar with Aaron Nola, who had, I think, the, the lowest uh, BABIP last year. And I think a lot of times we'll dive in and we'll say, oh, the skills or the expected batting average or the expected home runs or the expected slug say that they earn this. And it doesn't necessarily matter whether or not they earn it. It's just a matter of when something is unsustainably low, um, even the best players are going to regress from that, that point in time. And so I think steering clear of some of the guys who had, you know, super, ba- super, super low Babbitts, as long as they're, there are reasons, right? Like Justin Verlander has a low Babbitt, but he gives up a ton of fly balls. So he gives up a ton of home runs. Um, and uh, he's also strikes out like 35% of guys. So, uh, you know, and that's not something that uh, that Bowers was coming even close to doing, or Bauer was coming even close. Uh, there's a Freudian slip for you talking about Bauer and Bowers. Jesus. A masochist again. He's always um, on your brain. He's oh always God. on your brain. Yeah, I mean, you know, his K rate was twenty seven point eight percent this year, so still solid. He still gave you two hundred fifty strikeouts, two hundred thirteen innings, but damn, those ratios really, really hurt you. So uh, Bauer is a guy who, you know, I don't mind him as as the price drops heading into drafts. I think he was around pick one hundred, um, or maybe it was in like the seventy to eighty range in um, my draft in first pitch Arizona. It's not a terrible investment, especially if we think that the ball is going to be dejuiced for next year, maybe even expecting a little bit of positive regression for him. But, um, you know, definitely, definitely going to keep my eye on guys who um, just have super low BABIPs um, or super low home runs per nine and, and kind of steer clear of those guys unless I see some value um, outside of that. Uh, what, were, what were you, what did you notice about Bauer? Or what, were, what were some of the reasons you think you made a, a, a wrong turn on him? Uh, one quick thing: the on the two early mocks, he's going about pick seventy-six to eighty-ish, give or take. Okay. So that's but that's kind of skewed because well, one guy took him at fifty-seventh, and one league took him at his auto pick at fifty-six. Most others went like eighty-six to ninety. So yeah, you'll get him somewhere around there. For me, with Bauer, is yes, the home runs you couldn't imagine they'll be that much low, but you gotta also imagine maybe he goes from like point. Five to one instead of one point five type thing. If there wasn't the bouncy ball, that could add a huge factor. But um, you mentioned it that the strikeout rate dropping a bit hurt quite a bit. He is, he increased his uh, walk rate, and then looking at his pitch mix, I believe you mentioned it also. Stopping his he basically used his curveball seven percent less of the time. That seems like a dumb move, but uh, Bauer knows better than anybody. He's creating pitches left and right. But uh, lowering that curveball that much seems very, very silly for a guy that used his slider and his curveball so much. He developed a cutter that, according to Fangrass, developed a cutter that he used a lot more, which doesn't seem very good because if it's not cutting properly, it's just a batting practice fastball. And that can get into a lot of trouble for you. So maybe that'll change. And one thing that gets me intrigued for the next season is, A, value-wise, going there at pitch 80 or so, um, it is interesting because he's going around guys like James Paxton, Jose Barrios, Chris Paddock, Corey Kluber even dropped that far down. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out. But they did hire his driveline guy in Cincinnati. 
So he'll have his guy in his backyard to help him kind of pick his brain all the time and work with him. Working with Sonny Gray, he's already picking his brain in the last month or so, and you saw certain things change here and there. I think just kind of a new lease on life might help him because Bauer is a mental individual. Like he's very, he looks way deep into things. So I think having different guys to pick his to pick their brains and and maybe show him what he was doing wrong because he's at least the guy that he's proven he'll learn from. Like he'll he'll let you teach him and learn things and he's willing to change things, which is good. That's not what all these guys can do. So you nailed a bunch of the uh, the statistical parts of it. He still threw 213 innings. That's the most he's ever thrown, thrown his career. He started out the season great with Cleveland, then just kind of fell off a cliff. So we got to hope things improve. CSW is still good for the most part. Like you said, most of his stuff was still good. He has found the plate a lot, found a lot of bats, and it's not a good recipe, especially now in Great American Small Park and with a potential bouncy ball. That doesn't work well, but he could definitely be one of those bounce-back guys. I'm afraid he's going to be a popular bounce-back for many, and that might ruin the the value come draft day. But that's a few months away, so we can figure that out then. But I'm, I'm with you. Trevor Bauer, big miss. I thought there was – I, I think I had him top six or so going into the season, and that definitely did not play out as he was around 45 overall at the pitching and the player rater. But definitely would be back on in the next year, as you were saying. Yeah. And All right. And t- to, to your point yeah. about uh, Bauer and kind of Cincinnati and his impact on pitchers, and also with Kyle uh, uh, Bodie heading over there, um, I, I saw an article yesterday that um, Michael Lorenzen was saying that he's working with Bowers in the off se- Bauer in the off season, and that um, you know that he thinks he can add two ticks of velo heading into next year. So, well, you know, it remains to be seen whether he can do that, but. You know, that type of stuff, just having having folks who understand, you know, pitch design and who understand uh, mechanics uh, so well um, is is can never be a harmful thing for a pitching staff. So it'll be interesting to see see how he rubs off on on other players on that team, um, hopefully better than he rubbed off on himself. Yeah, exactly. That's, I guess the biggest thing is he needs to learn how to, I don't know the right way to say it, not be so much of a persona. I guess is the best way I can say it. Be a pitcher. Don't be a persona. Yeah. Figure that one out. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. let let your performance do some of the talking, right? Yes, like, exactly. Um, when you uh, – yeah. yeah. Well, because I like a lot of things about him. I like some of his spontaneity and spunkiness. Some of it's way too much. I like his little videos he does with other players around the league. That kind of stuff's fun. But there's other parts of him that's like, yeah, you might want to tone it. Maybe stay off Twitter tonight type thing. That might be good for you. All right, who's your number five? Oh wait, we share this one too. Oh man, Bubba, we are. This just this just highlights how brilliant we are. Yes, we and, are and, so good at getting the same things wrong. And this one, I promise, I promise, this has nothing to do with me being a Giants fan. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. I, 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 I believe you. I believe you for sure. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, I, I was off of Clayton Kershaw this year. I I did not – or Clayton Kershaw is the number five guy uh, that I definitely missed on. Um, uh, he – yeah, he – I was just not in on him. Like, I thought the price was too high. Like, even in when he was going around pick 70 there for a little while, I was not um, into what I was uh, what I was seeing from him. But, you know, like with a guy who has generational talent like he does, like – I guess you just have to assume that he'll find a way. Um, you know, the velo was the major concern. It didn't, it, his, the velo didn't in, improve at all. Um, you know, um, it was uh, 90.4 this year on average, down from 91 
6.4 on average last year, but he found a way to um, make it work. He actually uh, threw the four-seam fastball more, um, even though it wasn't as effective of a pitch, but his slider was better. Uh, the slider's swinging strike rate jumped 6% from 13.9% last year to 19.9% this year. And that pitch also, um, the chase rate on it increased by 10% as well. So it, it, was a, it was a very strong pitch for him in, in a number of ways because he could get it over the plate. He could throw it for strikes um, and also get whiffs on that. Um, his curveball was pretty much um, the same. Um, and he did throw a, a changeup that, or actually he only threw 16 changeups. So really it was that four-seam fastball, the slider, um, and the curveball. Uh, the curveball um, uh, and the slider both generated a lot of ground balls, uh, well over 50%, both at or, or above uh, 55%. So, you know, he found a way to pitch. He found a way um, to... Um, uh, you know, to be effective and he, and he plays for the Dodgers. And so I think for that reason, like you can't really, you know, there, there's definitely some, um, there's definitely some value there. Uh, he did have a pretty low Babbitt, but it seems like just looking at some of the expected metrics that some of that uh, was in line for, um, you know, that, that, that it was a, uh, uh, quote unquote deserved you might expect some regression even though he's been around there recently just because he is not as good the 84 percent left on base percentage also seems a little high for a guy who's not striking out um a, a, a ton of hitters um but you know 21 percent k minus walk 13 percent swinging strike rate i mean all in all it looks pretty good um there was a pretty sizable gap between his um uh his era uh, and his FIP and XFIP and Sierra, um, you know, although there's about a 30% career gap, it was 80, 83 points uh, this year. So I would expect some regression next year, maybe into the like, you know, low, like the 325, 350 range in ERA. But um, if they deaden the ball again, then that home run per nine is going to go down from 141. So, you know, again, he continues to be a solid pitcher. I think he's probably worth. Uh, grabbing in that, you know, like fourth, fifth round range and 15 team drafts next year. He's he'll probably go in, I think, the third third round when it comes to it, just because pitching in general is going to get pushed up. But, um, you know, uh, Clayton, I was I was wrong about you this year. And um, and I apologize. His CSW jumped about three percent from last year, at 30.1 percent this year compared to 28.4 percent last year. So a lot of a lot of positive signs. He's a great pitcher. He knows how to pitch. And as long as he doesn't have to pitch in the playoffs against really good competition uh, every single game, he's he's uh, he's doing all right. How about you? What do you what did you think about uh, the miss on Kershaw? I like that last little part there about the playoffs. It's always good. <laughs> um, yeah, I missed it, and it wasn't that I don't think he's a great pitcher. I've talked about it on other shows I've been on that as much as I'm a Giants fan, I don't like the Dodgers. I respect the heck out of Clayton Kershaw because he is one of the best pitchers of our generation. Like, there's no hiding that. He is that good. I was terrified for his back injury. For someone that, that struggles with back injuries from time to time, I know how those can linger, how they can pop up out of nowhere. That's going to affect an athlete. It's common sense. And no, I'm not speaking you know, some foreign language here. It terrified me. And I know I wasn't the only one terrified on that. And it just kind of turned me off on him where he was going in drafts compared to other pitchers around him. I'd rather take the healthy guy than the guy with back problems. That was me. Obviously, it backfired. 
He didn't have any flare-ups this year, pitched more innings this year than he has in the last two years. He was great. You mentioned the uh, the increased uh, strikeouts, the, the, the picks mitch changes. He threw his fastball more this year, which is kind of surprising. He's a smart guy who learned how to pitch. Not surprised by that at all. He definitely did it. Mad Bum did it. There's guys I claimed all offseason like, that are, would argue Mad Bum with me. I said, yes, his stuff might not be there, but he'll learn how to pitch. He's that kind of guy, and he did just that. Kershaw can obviously do that. Kershaw's great at that. As long as Kershaw's back is fine, I think he can be phenomenal again next year. I'll definitely be more interested in him this next year. In the two early mocks, he was going around pick 38. A few picks before him was Nola and Clevenger. Behind him was Snell, Flaherty, Strasburg, Sale. That's a heck of a group. That's a really, really good group of starting pitchers with some bats sprinkled in there that when you have Kershaw, it's like, okay, I'd probably take Clevenger over him. Nola Kershaw's kind of an interesting conundrum. Flaherty, Strasburg, yeah, I, I almost lean those. It's just when you get to this port, it's like grasping at straws. You can probably find a few stats, more personal preference type things. But Kershaw's great. You mentioned playing on the Dodgers. They're going to be very good again. He's going to have another great season. If he give you 170 pitches or innings, I mean, that's probably going to be 170 really good innings. So it's it, I'm not going to talk negative on him. I just completely missed on the fact I didn't think he'd be healthy. I thought he'd be their Rich Hill this year, but hey, they still had Rich Hill who did Rich Hill things. So I guess you can't have two of them on one roster. So yeah, I, I missed it big time on him. He dominated. Uh, last piece on him, if you look at the um, Razball player raider. I had it just pulled up. Where did it? Oh, yeah, I can't even read. He was the 10th best pitcher right behind Hungjin Ryu, right before Max Scherzer. He was a better than Max Scherzer when it comes to 15 teams leagues on the player raider. He was worth $20, $20.1. Scherzer was 19.8. Bueller was 19.3. The Dodgers had three of the top 12. That's pretty good. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, Kershaw was great. I'm just blabbering now because I just realized he was very, very good. Yeah, the the one thing I'll say about about Kershaw, and I think one of the reasons why I'll probably steer clear of him again because I have not learned anything. I have learned zero lessons in my life. Um, is just like even though he was relatively healthy all year, like the strikeouts over the last four years, like the total strikeouts, 172, 202, 155, and even this year, 189. So while like, you know, he was great this year because he he brought you tremendous value, um, those strikeouts, if you're getting him in the third round, you know, that's going to be a much lower strikeout total than some of the other guys if you have to reach and get him there, I think we're going to get. And I think it'd be really hard to project him for more than, you know, the 190 strikeouts that he got last year with the way strikeouts are going now and volume and strikeouts being so critical, I think that might be one knock against him moving forward Um, outside of some of the other things that we mentioned is just like, you know, if he's your, if he's your, if you're drafting him as your ACE or you're drafting him as, you know, um, you know, I guess he's an okay number two, but if you're drafting him as your ACE in the third round, I think that's going to be a little bit problematic from a strikeout perspective. No, and I'm 100% with you. That's why I'd probably go Flaherty and Strasburg over him. Mm-hmm. Um, Clevenger, I go – because it's also a combination Clevenger, of sure. youth and just kind of different – some of it's – like I said, you're just kind of picking age versus this or strikeouts versus this, and I wouldn't be shocked if – they're going to be very close possibly by season's end, 
But like with Clevenger, I think there's a whole other level we haven't seen yet. Flaherty, same thing. Strasburg was just great, and you are playing with fire with him. But I think there's a lot to like there. It's just different little things like that. And with Kershaw, eventually age will catch up to him. The strikeouts are a concern. You can't keep throwing fastballs that are hittable because there were certain games last year you'd see him, and he would play with fire kind of like he was in some of these postseason games. They finally caught up to him in game five, but even in his start, I think, in game two against the Nats, I know we're not, you know, we're not worried about postseason and fantasy, but that game was a, de- a demonstration of other games I witnessed and pitched throughout the year where they were hitting the ball extremely hard and they only got like two runs on them where it could have easily been a six-run six spot through four innings and boom, there goes your ratios. Like yeah. it, it was, it was a rocky road at times, but he was a smart pitcher. Like we talked about, he could wiggle in and out of it a little more effectively, which comes with age. But I like these young kids where I know they're bulldogs like Flaherty watching what he's like. He had a rough night in an LCS game, game three, he had a rough night, but just watching his, his tenacity in that division series, the stuff he has, the kind of bulldog mentality, that goes a long ways throughout a long baseball season. So little things like that, things that don't show up in the, the stat sheets. That's why I think our podcast is fun because you can go deep in the stats. I kind of watch and go feel and stuff like that and kind of mix it all together. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I'm looking at now at the two early mock draft ADP. Kershaw is the ninth pitcher off the board. That ADP of 39. I just think that's a dangerous – you're in a 15 team league and Kershaw is your, is your ACE. Yep. I think you're going to have a lot of strikeout problems. Like, like you mentioned, like pretty much everybody who's behind him, like Snell, I'd rather have Flaherty. I'd rather have Strasburg. I'd rather have sale. I'd rather have sales. The question mark for me, like, do you trust sale and his health right now? Well, I think that there's a, uh, you know, it'll be an interesting risk analysis. I mean, you know, right now we don't know anything. If he yeah, true. theoretically, if he's healthy, then he's throwing in spring training. And mm-hmm. you know, even this year, you know, this year he was he sucked, right? And I could have easily put him in in this category because I drafted him with the fifth overall pick. But um, you know, so he could have easily been there. But like you look at him, he had 218 strikeouts in less than 150 innings. You true. know, 13.3 Ks per nine, a 29.6 K minus walk rate. Like all the skills are off the charts. You know, what's different is a 1.47 home runs per nine, uh, a 66.7% uh, strand rate, which is 11% lower than his career average, 309 BABIP, which is 16 points higher than his career average. So a lot of these issues are a result of both the ball and I think a little bit of bad luck. And I think this is the worst that we're going to see from sale. And so, if there's any inclination that he is healthy, I mean, I, I was talking to a bunch of people about this this weekend, but like if you draft Chris Sale at pick 45, like at the end of the third round, start of the fourth round, and he is healthy, like steal. that goes a long way to helping you win your league. Um, yeah, and so if true. there's any semblance of health and that ADP is sticking around there, well, I may just be willing to, to grab him as my SP2. Um, if I can get like a really strong, strong guy there um, uh, up at the top. So I'm with you, know, you on that. I, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, in like Castillo's, I'd take over him. I'd probably take Corbin over him. Uh, Giolito, I'd definitely take over him. You know, uh, Otani, Syndergaard, probably not, but maybe Charlie Morton. I mean, Charlie Morton has been really good for a long time and maybe even Granky. I mean, Granky's going to be on the Astros. 
Um, he is, uh, he throws innings, like he doesn't get K's, but neither is Kershaw. Um, so I, I just think like from a value standpoint, Kershaw is not, he's going to be like one of the worst value propositions, I think heading into, I, I, um, I bet, next year. I bet when we have this conversation about two, two, three months from now, maybe January that, uh, when we see some good NFBC data start to collect, I bet you a lot of these names are in front of Kershaw. I bet you with, cause that's one thing about these two early mocks. They're great to get a kind of feel for things. There's so much recency bias. And I think a lot of people were similar to us that thought Kershaw coming into the season was going to be this one pitcher, and he just outperformed all of our expectations. We might have been lower than some other people, but there were not many that thought Kershaw was going to be this good. Like, you probably thought he'd be good, but not this good. So I think, could be totally wrong, that there were uh, some drafts. Because you look at, there were six drafts. Most of them went anywhere from thirty-four to or thirty-three to thirty-eight. One draft he went fifty-fifth, so one draft had him drop quite a bit. Yeah. I'd love. To, well, we can. We will be able to. It'll be fun to see where Kershaw actually ends up later in the draft season. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's gonna that'll be wrap us up this week. Yeah. Oh, so. and and I do. We did talk a little earlier, but just a couple, a oh, few yes. honor, uh, honorable mentions for 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 blown calls. We were both off on Reynaldo Lopez for sure. We didn't include mm-hmm. him because he was just, you know, where he was going in ADP. I think he was around pick two fifty or so. So, um, but he was God. He was awful this year. <laughs> Outside of like two yeah. stars, yeah. And then uh, Matt Harvey and Jose Urania were guys who were very late ADPs who I definitely you know, was in on and, and, and missed on a lot of them. Are there any guys that you would add to that in terms of honorable mentions? We won't, we won't dive deep on them at all. Yeah. Ronaldo Lopez for sure. Mike minor. That's something with the Texas Rangers. I just don't mm-hmm. trust that's Coors light South. I'm not uh, that one scares me. So I was definitely off on that. And then other than that, without getting like super picky, it's tough. Like, you know, Kluber, but then he got hurt. Like you can't predict that. Um, Guys that just didn't perform what you expect. Um, I don't really have too many that stand out without going super deep and ADP and stuff. And then you're just kind of grasping at straws, like you said. Like maybe Masahiro Tanaka. I'm not like huge on him, but I thought he'd be better than he was. It was kind of quiet and not pretty. But uh, yeah, no, nothing too crazy. I actually, knock on wood, I my pitching wasn't my problem this year. It was more the batters that got me good. But luckily... When it comes to waiver wires, you can find kind of sneaky guys here and they're all over the place. So it worked out. Yeah, definitely. Well, the great thing is, Bubba, I fully expect you to uh, adopt the two starting pitchers in the first two round approach. And so your hitting will be great or your pitching will be great again heading into 2020. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be as, as, as into it as you are, but the, the, no, but I'll tell you this much. I did it some this last year and in all the mocks I've done so far, I've done two mocks. I've taken at least two in the first four rounds, and I've been very happy with it. Yeah. Um, it and usually it's it depends on where I'm drafting, but the two that I get out of the first four rounds, it's knock on wood. So far, I've been very good, and if I can pull that off, I'll be I'll be happy. And that's kind of what I did last year. I ended up getting two what I thought were aces to near aces, and it gives me the luxury of kind of bobbing and weaving more and getting bats and kind of waiting on that glob of pitchers in the middle. So. We'll see, but there'll be a lot lot to break down on that as we get closer to draft season. Definitely. All right, that'll wrap us up for Bubba and the Bat Flip 11. Uh, 
Toby's back from Arizona. We'll be back again next Monday. Um, lots of fun stuff coming up this week around uh, baseball. Enjoy the playoffs. Uh, any thoughts on the playoffs? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping no offense to all the Yankees fans out there. Um, I still hold a little bit of my anti-Yankee bias from my days as a Red Sox fan. So, uh, and growing up in a Red Sox household. So I'm rooting against the Yankees, rooting against the Cardinals, uh, rooting for the Nationals, rooting for the Astros. I think it'd be nice if the Nas- if the Nationals won. There's just a lot of players on the, on that roster that I, uh, that I really uh, enjoy, but um, so I'd say Nationals number one, Astros number two. I, I just like a lot of uh, the guys on uh, their team, and then I think uh, Cardinals and Yankees for me, uh, looking like we're going, the Nats are going to go to the World Series. So happy for uh, for Scherzer and Strasburg and all those guys. I think uh, I think they really deserve it, and I love Anthony Rendon and Lil Rendon. How about you? What and are you Lil Rendon. Yeah. I and love Zimmerman. that. Man. I, I want a jersey that says Lil Rendon because I'd wear it. You, that'd be perfect for you. That would yeah. be perfect. Um, yeah, Zimmerman, the lifelong Nat. It'd be fun to see him get there too. For but sure. um, yeah, the Nats Astros, that's what I'm pulling for. Uh, after that point, like I like the Astros to win, but if it's the Nats, it wouldn't break my heart because the storyline of the first season without Bryce Harper winning the World Series would get um, all the clicks in the world. That would be <laughs> – uh, amazing footage right there, but it, it's been good. It's been good. This Yankees Astro yeah. series is going to be, it's already been good. It's going to get real oh, good. Yeah. Garrett Cole game three in the Bronx. Cannot wait for that. Um, but all right, we'll wrap it up there. We'll call it a day. We'll be back with you guys next week with episode 12. But for now, find Toby on Twitter at Batflip crazy. I'm on Twitter at BD and trick. Bubba the Batflip episode 11 in the books. Catch you guys later.